Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. We're here. Good. Nice to see you all. If you're visiting with us, hope you feel welcome. We've been, we've been doing a series on, um, on what it is to know lasting peace. And uh, I want to just continue with that. I, I thought it was going to be like a one Sunday. And so often as things happen, it ends up just kind of stretching out and stretching out and stretching out. But that's all right. So let's look at a few verses that we've been looking at. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. Every one of us almost, well, maybe not on a weekly basis, but on a pretty regular basis, face situations and different things that are coming against us or things that are going on in our life where we need the peace of God. Because you can very easily and very quickly lose your peace if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what the source of peace is. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with my peace. That's a powerful thing. Isaiah um, uh, says in, uh, 700 years before Jesus was born, he says that Jesus would be, was coming as the prince of peace. The prince of peace. And the government of his peace will know no end. It will continually increase. He is the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, the angels declared, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. Paul, the author of probably three quarters of the New Testament, he writes about knowing peace. Peace in a chaotic world. Peace that's in absolute chaos and where there's violence and hatred. He writes about peace. He says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He writes this to the Thessalonian church. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Peace at all times, no matter what's going on, and in every way. In every way means that there's different kinds of peace. In every way. He writes to the Philippians, and he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, that's quite an amazing thing for Paul to say because he's writing that whole book from prison. He's in chains. He's in a situation where, hey, for most of us, we would have lost our peace pretty quickly. And yet he's writing, hey, there's a peace that you can know. And it goes beyond your natural understanding. Jesus said in John 16, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Well, that's encouraging. Thanks, Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You can know peace. Folk, we live in a troubled world. And I think sometimes, especially as a Christian, you live in a troubled world. Because if you put your head above the clouds, if you start standing up for the truth of the word of God, um, you're going to get attacked. Somewhere along the line, people are going to challenge you on that. Um, you can know trouble because the devil wants to take you out. He wants to rob you of peace. But Jesus says that in the midst of trouble, you can have peace and you can bring peace to others. In this world you'll have trouble, but you will have peace. 
So peace doesn't mean the immediate absence of trouble. What it means is that there is a supernatural ability that you can walk in, an anointing that you can walk in, an empowerment that you can walk in that brings peace into a situation. That's why David writes in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff comfort me. It's a promise that God is always with us. That's why you can have peace. I don't know if any of you have seen one of those Facebook pictures, cartoons of a, of a chicken walking through a car park right next to a KFC sign. <laughs> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like that, right? I mean, Paul amazes me, the Apostle Paul, where he, where he just, it, it seems like he, I mean, he's so passionate in love with Jesus. He wants people to be saved. He's passionate about the gospel. And yet it kind of, it's like he goes from trouble to trouble. I don't get it. He's, you know, I mean, he's always facing stuff. That's what he actually says, even though we face death all day long. Every day I face death. I face the prospect of dying for what I stand for. We, we are so lucky in this country that we don't face that kind of thing. Things are changing. I don't think we'll ever die because of our faith here. But, be, but folk, I tell you, the, the, the degree of persecution will increase. If you truly want to stand for truth. Do you know that can happen even in Christian circles? We get some emails now and again for stuff that we've preached. In fact, I was sitting, I was at a, well, I won't disclose too much, but I was sitting with a pastor this week, with several pastors, and uh, one of them said to me, what do you think about this whole grace thing? I was thinking, that's like waving a red flag to a bull. What do you think about all this grace thing? And I said, well, what do you mean? Just... Just, you know, give me an example. What, what were you talking about? And uh, I wasn't going to set myself up for stuff. I tell you, I was, you know, you've got to learn which fights to fight, when. So he says, oh, I just can't, I just, I do not believe that all our sin is forgiven. And I'm thinking, you're a pastor leading a church. What are you preaching? I thought, gee, uh, I so wanted to get into it. <laughs> And I thought, no, this isn't the moment. This isn't the time to actually, we're gonna, I'm going to maintain peace. I'm just going to back off. But I'll tell you, somewhere along the line, you know, the next few months, there's going to be an opportunity to actually sit down and say, well, what other alternative is there? If God hasn't forgiven me all my sin, what alternative is there? What does that mean? Do you think you can get into heaven with sin? So if God hasn't forgiven you all your sin and you say you're a believer and you're trusting in God, eternal life just went out the door. <laughs> but see, you've got to know when to actually deal with that issue. Paul faced persecution all the time and yet he says this in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case you didn't quite get it the first time, again I say, rejoice. And he goes on and he talks, and that's when, he, when he, we, we just read that verse there in Philippians 4. 
the peace of God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. How many of you know you need to have your mind and your hearts guarded? Because there's stuff that wants to destroy you. And Paul writes with the confidence of, of knowing Jesus that we can know peace. The word peace, you know, I'm sure most of you know, is the Hebrew word shalom. Do you know what it means? Health, wholeness, peace. It means nothing broken and nothing missing. But he, I, only, I only found this out that just a few weeks ago. Is that, is that one of the literal meanings, when you get right into the nitty-gritty of it, it, it means this. Things just as they ought to be. When, when God created the, the, the universe, when he created the world, when he created Adam and Eve, he created everything perfect, just as it should be. Just as it ought to be. There was perfect peace there. Nothing broken, nothing missing. But we know when sin came into the world, things got broken. Some things were missing. Adam was walking with the presence of God, lifted. He was clothed with the presence of God. He was clothed with the glory of God. That's what, what do you think he, when, he, when sin came in and suddenly his eyes were open? He says, I'm naked. He never had clothes before, but he was clothed. See, he was clothed with the glory of God. And that lifted, he lost that glory and suddenly, suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm not as I ought to be. Something is now missing. See, the peace of God comes to bring restoration to what is missing. Jesus came to restore peace in a whole lot of different areas in life. And we looked at some of these um, already. See, this is the most important. Oh, did I not read those? Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's, I'm not sure what happened. Don't lose your peace, Tony. <laughs> okay, that's all right. We just didn't have time to read them. So those are the three areas of peace that we've looked at so far. Peace with God. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. We have peace with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. Like if you don't, you, do you know that um, that's, God did all of that, right? God bought peace. He reconciled the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. It's 2 Corinthians 5, around verse 20, 19. He reconciled the world to himself. You have peace with your, within yourself. See, if you don't know peace with God, if you don't know that Jesus has made peace between man and God, you won't know peace within yourself. We need to have peace within. You know, it, 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 if you understand and get revelation and believe in the promises of God, the Bible says that I have received the gift of eternal life. If I don't believe that, I won't have an internal, an internal peace about eternity. Bit of a tongue twister. If I don't understand that I have been made perfect in Jesus, 
that I have received the righteousness of God. It's been imputed to me. I've been clothed with it from head to foot. I will feel condemned. I won't have an internal peace. But the Bible says, tells me that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that, that sense of no condemnation is an internal peace that we know. Peace in your circumstances. That no matter what you walk through, you can know peace. I gave the example last week of, of um, was his name Horatio Spafford? Who, 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 for those of you who weren't here, he, he was a businessman in Chicago um, in the, the 1800s, um, was going to go on holiday to London, um, put his wife and kids on a boat, was going to follow them, and, there, and that boat foundered in the middle of a storm, and his three daughters died. They drowned. His wife survived. And he hopped on, the, as soon as he heard, he hopped on the next boat to go to, 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 to London to, to see his wife. And it was the same um, cruise liner or, or company. And they stopped at the point where the other boat went down. And he stood on the deck of that boat as there was a memorial service being, being performed. And he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Famous hymn. Most people who don't remember the author was this man who wrote it on the deck of that boat at the point where he just lost his three daughters. How do you write that? You've got to have an internal peace that is so powerful that it enables you to walk through a terrible situation, a terrible circumstance, where you can know peace. Paul writes this, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, we can think of peace as being kind of a little bit wishy-washy, a bit soft. No, peace is something that's powerful. powerful. Peace is something that releases strength into your life. And Paul knew it. Where did he write those words? Philippians chapter 4. Writing from jail, in chains, with the, with, with the prospect of actually going through Terrible torture and then death. And he says, guys, rejoice in the Lord always. Be at peace. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. I've learned to be content. I'm at peace. But it strengthens me. It strengthens me. You know, you can impart peace. We, we looked at that, I think, in the first week. You can, you can impart peace. Jesus says, uh, Matthew chapter 10, he says, he says, you go into a house, you can, you can leave your peace. You can deposit peace. And if that peace isn't received, you can take it with you. It's not a quaint little saying, oh, peace on your house. No, it's actually something that is spiritual and powerful. You can, you can deposit peace into a situation. This, this week, um, many of you heard, oh, Josh's little boy had a seizure on Monday. And Brooke had to call the ambulance. I mean, it was, it was chaos. It was just frantic. 
and, and it was just an awkward, you know, really challenging situation. There was moments there where she didn't have her peace, and that's very understandable. But she rang Kay, and Kay went over and embraced her and prayed for her, and peace came. See, you can impart peace to other people into a situation. Never underestimate what you carry within you. And so we're, we're, we're at peace with God. You can have peace within yourself. You can, you can learn how to trust in God and walk in a sense of peace. But there's, a, there's another area of peace, and it's this. Jesus came to bring peace among us. Peace, peace with one another. And maybe, as much as sometimes um, things we walk through are quite challenging, um, Learning how to be at peace with one another is probably one of the tough ones. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Am I talking to any real people out there? Paul writes in, again in the book of Philippians and he, he writes in, in chapter 3, he actually says, I'm writing to you with tears, with, with real emotion. And he's, and he's talking about Wanting everyone to walk according to the call that they've received. Walk, according, walk worthy to what God has called you to. Walk with a good testimony. And, he, and, he, and he's, he's writing emotionally. In the very next chapter, he, he, he says this. He says, I want to plead with those two women, Euodia and Sinchi, please because you belong to the Lord, Settle your agree, your disagreement. There was something going on. You know, the, the, the letter to the Philippians really is a love letter. He commends them continually, page after page after page. But he writes with tears because there is something going on that he said, this isn't good. And there was disagreement between two women who travelled with Paul previously, who worked with him for the sake of the gospel, who really loved God who loved the church, but something had happened between them that had caused friction and it now was starting to affect the church. And Paul, with tears, pleads with them, guys, would you please get this thing together? Please get it together. You haven't lost your salvation, but this isn't a great testimony. And you know, the devil wants to look for every little inroad he can find to bring disharmony. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. He's a God of harmony. And he wants harmony within his body. He wants us to live at peace with one another. Amen? So there's four, there's four areas of, of learning how to live with peace with, with, with others. It's peace with everybody. Peace with believers, so that's within the church. Peace with your family, well, that can be a challenge sometimes. Um, and peace with your friends. Peace, the peace of God to rule in your heart. And if it can rule in your heart, it can rule in your environment. What is it to rule? It's to have government in. It's to reign in a situation. 
that can be in your family and it should be in your family. And that can be a very challenging thing at times. But it's peace with everybody. This is what we read this verse the other week. Uh, Romans 12 says, uh, live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Who is the one another? So Paul's addressing the church, right? Live at peace with one another. That's an imperative. That's kind of like a non-negotiable. But then he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How many of you know that sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with everyone? See, because peace is a two-way street. And sometimes... The other parties simply, they don't, they don't want it. They don't, they don't want it. And you know, you know as, as far as the interaction between the church and unbelievers, remember this, they're not at peace with God. They are from God's side because he reconciled the whole world to himself. But in terms of how they see themselves in their relationship with God, they're not at peace. And if they don't have that peace, they won't have this peace. And if you don't have that peace and this peace, you won't have this peace. So when you're dealing with an un, unregenerate world, sometimes it's difficult to be at peace with everyone. But Paul says, as much as it depends on you, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. But it's not always possible. And he's writing to the church in Rome, right, seat of paganism, to a church that is under severe persecution. And he says, despite all of that, as far as it depends on you, do everything you can to live at peace. Doesn't mean you compromise truth doesn't mean you compromise what you stand on but as far as it depends on you do everything you can to live at peace I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 we know verse 17 very well if you're in Christ you're a new creation right the old is gone the new has come the few verses before that he, he, he let me paraphrase it he, 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 he talks in a way where he says you know, there was a time where we just used to think with mere human wisdom and mere human understanding. That's all we did. That, that's the way, in fact, the way that we used to look at Jesus, we just looked at him as a mere human being. And then he says this, but we do so no longer. And he wasn't saying the way that he looks at Jesus was the only thing that changed. He's saying the way we now look at everyone has changed. The way we look at everyone has changed. And in that same context, if you read on, it was the verse that I quoted before. God has reconciled the whole world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. How do you look at unsaved people? I've met many Christians who feel like they're at war with unsaved believers. 
unsaved believers, unsaved people. We're not at war with them. So you're going to see them differently. You're going to see them as people that God, from God's side, he's reconciled them to himself. They just don't know it. They haven't come to a place where they've put faith in Jesus so that they receive all the benefits of the cross that come to you. But the only thing that's standing in the way is their unbelief in Jesus. We're going to see people differently, folks. We're not at war with people. So we need to embrace them and love them because God loves them just as much as he loves you. And sometimes we don't get that as believers. Sometimes we, we kind of have almost like a carryover of, of, of you know, the Jews who thought we're the, we're the only ones that God loves. Uh, God loves everyone. With me? I like this. I'm sure you've all seen this. No Jesus, there's no peace. But when you know Jesus, you can know peace. You can know peace. If we know Jesus, we can know peace and we can establish peace. Peace among Christians. Peace among believers. Folk, the church, the body of Christ is meant to be a living demonstration of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is a kingdom of peace. It's ruled by the Prince of Peace. Now, it's understandable why sometimes it's difficult to have peace outside of the church. But you know that within the church, we should definitely have peace. The number one tactic of the devil is to bring disharmony. And he'll lie to you about yourself, but he'll lie to you about others. He's trying to rob you of inner peace. He sows discord amongst believers by starting rumours and lies because he wants to rob the church of peace. Now we read in Acts uh, chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, um, of, the, of the amazing harmony and, and unity that the church had. In Acts chapter 2, we, we, we read that um, um, the, the people were devoted they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. They were devoted to one another. And it goes on and it talks about the fact that there was no needy among them. They had everything in common. People sold possessions and gave to others so there was no needy in the church. They met in one another's homes on a regular basis. And they enjoyed the favour of all the people. There was something going on in that early church that was amazing. In chapter 4, we read a very similar thing. Again, no needy people among them. People buying and selling so, they, so, they, so that everyone was catered for. There was, a, there was a commonality in vision and values and desire and, and, and the purpose of the church. But it's amazing if, if you keep reading through the book of Acts, it didn't take long for the devil to come in and infiltrate and to start to sow disharmony. Acts chapter 5, you've got guys coming into church lying to leaders. Acts chapter 6, you've got people fighting over food. 
which is hard to understand when just a few chapters before we see there's this beautiful harmony. The devil always wants to try and get in and cause problems. And, and that was happening primarily in a Jewish context where family was so strong in their culture. It got even worse when the gospel started to spread. There was real, real friction that started to happen later on when the gospel went to the Gentiles. And now you've got this reaction from the Jewish people who have been saved, who is still under this thing, we are the only favoured people of God and you guys are kind of second-class believers. You know, that, that gets into the church. That happened 2,000 years ago when that started. It's still going on today. It's one of the things I believe that as we walk through and get greater revelation of the grace of God, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't become grace Pharisees and that we don't see ourselves as some elite group. Very, very always on guard about that. The grace of God is for everyone. It's always being poured out towards everyone. Yes, there's a reality as to what people's understanding and the revelation they have and, and how much they're walking in it. That is true. But folks, we've got to be very, very careful not to start to point fingers and not to start to put other people down. And that's what was happening. And so you've got this friction between, between Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. Paul writes this in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near, to, near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. There's now no separation between Jew and Gentile. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. You know, folk, when Christianity burst onto the scene, it caused a real stir because suddenly it seemed like God was going to, he was embracing everyone. Everybody could come in. Um, that wasn't always the case. And that certainly wasn't the case in the temple situation. Because, you know, they, they had a big outer court. If, if you uh, were a believer, but this is before Christianity, so if you, if you were a non-Jew but you wanted to worship the God of the Jews, then you had to go through a whole process to be able to do that. And you were allowed to come into the outer parts of the court of the temple. But you couldn't go any further. You could only get into the actual court of the temple if you were a Jew. In actual fact, they had a plaque on the, on the doorway that separated those two sections that said if you were a non-Jew and you entered into that part of the temple, the punishment was death. So you can see there's a, there is a literal physical wall that created hostility. Because we're worshipping the same God as you guys, why don't we have the same access to him? 
And then even within the Jewish community, I mean, that's a friction that you've got between Jews and Gentiles. But then within the Jewish community, you got friction because there was another wall. And only the men could go beyond that one. And then when you got into the temple proper, now, now you've got the opportunity for even more friction because there was a big curtain. And only one guy could get in there. <laughs> what happened when Jesus came and died? What happened at the moment that he died? That curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying now there's open access for everyone into the presence of God. doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, or a priest. Now you've got access, free access. And that's why it writes in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we should have full confidence, full assurance of faith. We can enter into the most holy place 24-7 because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? He came and preached peace to you that were far away. Peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household. What happens, folk, when we live together in peace and harmony as God's household? Well, Paul goes on and he says this. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. But God wants to dwell amongst us all the time. All the time. And Paul's writing here saying, you know what the most important thing is? That you live together in peace and harmony. Because there's a place I can come and release my glory. This is why we have this unity. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, and through all. It's in all and through all. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, you are all sons of God through Christ Jesus. He goes on, he says, there's neither slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Jesus. Amen? No divisions in God. No divisions in his kingdom. No unrest. Just a oneness United together in Christ, the Prince of Peace. reason there's so many denominations and splits and stuff that goes on is because there's so much disagreement. And Paul writes, Paul has to write even to the Corinthian church and says, guys, you're arguing about who, you sh who should be your main apostle. Stop it. I mean, it's just straight out. It's just stop it. You're being stupid. You know, there's jealousy there, there's issues of internal fighting, there's incest, there's all kinds of stuff going on, there's self-indulgent, there's sin happening. And then he writes to him at the end and he says this, he says, Finally, brothers, 
See ya. Farewell, he says. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. There's, there's some real insight in that verse. The God of love and peace will be with you. Now that, that, that little phrase there, I had a good look at that. It means the God of love and peace will manifest his glory amongst you. Because we have a promise that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. But we don't always feel like we, we you, you don't tangibly feel that all the time. Paul's saying here, guys, if you live in peace, put aside all this rubbish, all these divisions, then the God of love and peace will manifest his presence among you. What a wonderful promise that is. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Let us live up to what we've already attained. If you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, be one in spirit and purpose. They're all in Philippians 1 and 2. Then he says this. We read this before. I want to look at it again just quickly. Rejoice in the Lord always. So no matter what you're going through, I'll say it again, rejoice. And then this little phrase. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How many of you know that Jesus was not weak? He wasn't weak, but he was gentle. I mean, it's time he makes a whip and he drives out the money changers out of the temple. There are other times where he really confronts and rebukes the Pharisees for all the rubbish that they're trying to put on people. He wasn't weak, but he was gentle. Paul was not a weak man. Paul was a very, very gutsy, strong man, but he was gentle. Gentleness does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean passivity. It's actually something, in actual fact, to be a gentle person takes a lot of strength. It actually takes a lot more courage to be truly gentle. Um, the word gentle means kindly, not rough, uh, easily controlled, soft, tender, smooth, untroubled. Smooth and untroubled. Um, everyone here has got a car? Everyone knows what it is to drive a car? Um, who's driven on rough roads? What happens if you're driving on rough roads and your shock absorbers are stuffed? You feel every bump in the road. You feel every pothole. You feel every little discrepancy. You feel every rock that you hit. And what happens? It gets a bit rough on the seat if you're driving a long distance by that. And you got the vibrations. You get out of the car and you're still going like this. A shock absorber is meant to absorb the bumps in the road. It's meant to absorb the shocks of hitting something that is jarring and stopping it from being transmitted to you. Something else is meant to take that shock. 
Shock absorbers are meant to do what their name implies. They're meant to absorb those things. In fact, I think that's what, something of what it's like to be gentle with one another. Is that when we know the peace of God and we allow the peace of God to rule our hearts, that peace acts as a spiritual shock absorber to actually smooth things out between us. So when you're facing a conflict, when you're facing something that's really irking you, when you're facing something that is, that is really difficult in a relationship, when you allow the peace of God to rule, bump! It doesn't affect you. That shock absorber of the Holy Spirit's peace in your life helps you to walk through situations that you wouldn't normally be able to do. So Paul says, guys, let the peace of God rule in your mind and rule in your heart so that it can absorb a few knocks. It can absorb a few shocks. It can absorb a few offences. And we live in a, in, in, in a world that we're faced with the opportunity to be offended every day. Every day. When you find yourself confronted with a situation that has potential for conflict, how, in, in, in interpersonal relationships, how do you allow the shock absorber of God's peace to rule? How do you do that practically? It's just one Little example. I think we have an opportunity every time we have that where, where, where there's an opportunity for us to be offended is, is to stand as the defence lawyer for that person. That's a pretty hard thing to do. But that's what Jesus did. When he's hanging on a cross and he's looking at the very people who put him there, the very people who, who, who drove nails through his body, who put a crown of thorns on his head, who whipped him, the same crowd that said crucify him, he looks at, and he stands as a defense lawyer for those people. And he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? To actually stand and, and no matter, despite what you see, despite the way you're feeling, despite what's going on, to have the courage to allow the peace of God to rule, which means it governs your response. It governs what you do. To actually think only the best of that person and to come up with every scenario you can to defend them for what they're doing. And what they've done is maybe totally wrong. But if you allow that to rule your heart, 
you will lose your peace. And you won't just lose inner peace, you'll lose the peace with the, in the relationship with those people. Are you with me? I heard a story, oh, let me close with this because, man, I've gone over. Um, can you cope with two minutes more? I heard a story of a pastor who uh, was pastoring a church and there was this um, long-standing uh, family in the church and they'd been you know, faithful and serving. But one day something started to change with the man, the husband. And uh, he just, he started just, his attitude started to change. And um, no one could really understand what was going on and, and he was getting a bit aggro and, and as time went on, it just got worse and worse and worse. He became aggressive, he became argumentative. Uh, the pastor would visit him, try and sort stuff out. They couldn't understand what was going on. It got so bad that now it was affecting other people in the church and everyone just wanted him to leave because it was just it was really disruptive. And he wasn't coping with it very well. And uh, eventually the man left. And a little while later, he gets a phone call from the guy's wife saying, look, he's in hospital, uh, he's dying, would you please come and see him? So the pastor goes and uh, he visits the man, prays with him, and then he sits with the doctor and the man's wife and family and they begin to explain what the situation is. And he's got uh, a brain condition, some kind of disease that had affected him and... Uh, it was, it was affecting the, his, his emotions and the way that he could make decisions. And, then, and so he asked the doctor, well, when, did this, when do you think this started? And he says, well, we, we know the kind of history of how these things develop and we think it happened and he gave him a rough date of when it was. And it was exactly the time when this man's behaviour started to change. And... Uh, and so the pastor, he goes back to his wife and he's sitting there and he's sitting with his wife and she asks him how everything went and he, and he said to her, you know, if I had just one more bit of information about what was going on with that man, I would have handled everything differently. And none of us walk in the shoes of another person. We don't, we don't know exactly what's going on in that person's life. And sometimes if we just knew that one little bit more information, the way that we would respond would be so different. Peace is a shock absorber that helps us to absorb the shock of offence when we don't understand it, to actually allow us to ride it through and maintain peace in the body. Amen? It's a practical thing. It's just a practical thing that sounds easy, but I know is difficult. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. But folk, if we, want, if we want ever increasing levels of glory, ever increasing levels of the presence of God, of the miraculous, of signs and wonders and, and all the things that God can do amongst us and increased fruitfulness and effectiveness, then peace, peace is such a vital part of that. Peace within ourselves and peace with others. 
Amen. And we haven't even started to tackle the thing of peace with family yet. Well, that could be interesting. We all need that one. We all need that one. So, Father, would you, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you help us to walk in increasing levels of peace where your peace rules our heart, where it rules our mind, where it governs, where we allow it to come in. And it's like we, we, read, we read the legislation, the laws of peace. We say, God, that's, we, we want to give ourselves to that. Help us to, to develop that, that shock absorber that allows us to, to, to absorb stuff. It's not right. What happens to us isn't always right, but help us to be able to cope with it so that we maintain the bonds of peace amongst one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.